Why does it feel like when I got better, my partner got worse? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. Cal Brandon, another good episode we're going to be having today. I think we've got a really awesome caller coming on. Um, how are you feeling this morning? Um, I'm exhausted. I'm trying to keep the energy <laughs> level high. I mean, you can hear in my voice, I got half a voice this morning. Yeah, what happened, um, Brandon? <clears throat> well, we just got we finished our conference yesterday, mm-hmm. so we got home yesterday. Um, we've we've been out in the wilderness. We've been hiking through sand. We've been in rivers. We've been, you know, scaling down cliffs and all kinds of crazy, awesome, emotional work and spiritual work. And yeah, so yeah, we've done a lot in the last three days. It's the it's the best kind of exhaustion where where you feel totally fulfilled, even though you're dead tired, right? And and I just want to th- throw a shout out there to all of the ladies who came to the conference and we know that you're listening and just want to express heartfelt thanks to you for the energy that you brought, for the ways that you've changed both Brandon and I's lives in the way that you show up and living your lives and stepping into your, your situations with so much courage. So thank you. It was a privilege to be with you this weekend. Yeah, I just, uh, to further the shout out, and I wish I could give one to everybody there because ev- everybody who came um, really created what the conference was. And, you know, today there's, there's a woman driving home to Canada and there's another one flying home to Orlando and there's one in North Ogden that's just a listener and, and she came and, and I, I just am really grateful for everybody who made the effort, um, spent the money, spent the time and made the sacrifice to come because it was, it was awesome. So thank you guys. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Should we dive let's, into it with Pam? Let's do it, Brandon. Okay. Pam said she was going to come, so she's coming to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, so, Pam, if you could just give us a little bit of background, tell us your story, and then ask any questions that you have. Okay. Thank you, guys, for having me on. Um. I, uh, I was married for almost 22 years and, um, about five years ago, five to seven years ago, um, my husband was really struggling with, um, alcoholism and uh, over the course of the next few years, um, a lot of things came to light about his past, um, his behavior, his addiction and, um, I found out that he had um, essentially been untruthful when we got married about his um, sexual health, his sexual history, his mental health. Although, um, you know, I'm not sure he was even really aware of of the impact of it at the time. But um, I started to get help myself because I was really struggling to um, just get through the days (laughs) And, um, I found out we did a disclosure and in that disclosure, it it was confirmed that, 
um, you know, he had been unfaithful since the beginning of our marriage, um, extensively. I, um, there was a lot of, a lot of acting out and his alcoholism was excelling. It was increasing. And, um, in 2021, early 2021, he went to rehab for the second time. And it was during that time that I felt like I was able to work with my therapist and, and really get a good handle on where I was, the reality of, of what I thought I was in and what I needed to feel safe and, and try to continue to see if we were going to be able to make it out to the other side. I was committed to trying. I was committed to him, committed to myself, and I didn't, I wasn't ready to give up. So when he came back from rehab, I had a clear picture of what, what I needed, what my boundaries were. Um, oh, he wasn't able to drink in the home anymore. Um, I had expectations for uh, accountability and transparency. I didn't want to be a gatekeeper. I have felt like I had been a gatekeeper for years and I was so over that. Um, so I, I asked for, um, you know, check-ins at intervals. I didn't want to be the daily, you know, what have you been doing and where are you going? And are you going to a meeting? I, I that's not who I am. And I wanted to trust that he was doing his own program and um, but I did say that if you, if you act out or if you drink again and, and try to lie to me about it, I wasn't even saying don't do that. I just said, just don't lie to me about it. Just be open about it. Let's work through this together. Don't keep me in the dark. And, and, um, he couldn't do that. And so a month later I had to follow through when I asked him to, to leave. I asked him to, to plan to move out that I needed a separation indefinitely. And I, I wasn't ready to divorce. I just couldn't be under the same roof with him. And I felt like he needed to be somewhere else as well for his own emotional safety. I was very dysregulated and there was no space in our, in our marriage, in our home for the pain I was going through. So, um, I asked him to move out and, and in, in the process of those discussions and, and figuring that out, he, he chose to, um, go kind of, uh, isolate himself in a hotel and he drank for several days and he didn't make it back. He passed away. Wow. And so now I'm feeling guilty that I didn't help enough or help in the right way or didn't get help soon enough. It's almost like survivor's guilt, you know, that I made it out and he didn't. Feeling some level Just, of responsibility. Yeah. So I'm, I'm questioning every, everything I did, everything I, you know, every boundary I ever had. Was it too much? Was it too much too soon? Was I, you know, was I in denial about really how sick he was? So I'm just really struggling with that. When you, when you kind of evaluate this, I'm wondering, I'm sure you've played, played this over in your mind a thousand times, if way more than that. Um, when, when you evaluate it, what, what are there, what do you regret? Um, 
I regret um, I wish I could have showed up with more compassion sooner. Hmm. I wish yeah. I had done my work sooner. Um, I feel like that by the time I was able to know better and do better, it might have been too late. And in some way, if I could, maybe I could have left or let him go. Or, I mean, my, my therapist, I have a really good therapist. And the one thing I'm having a hard time accepting is that this would have happened no matter who he was with. I can't, <laughs> I know that up here in my head, but I have a hard time accepting it in my heart. Mm-hmm. That this would have happened no matter who he was with, mm -hmm. um, meaning that his 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 disease, his addiction, was there regardless of of you, mm -hmm. right? And uh, that's easy for for a therapist to say. You're th it sounds like you have a great therapist, um, and that's what I want to say to you: is yes, this is not your fault. Um, yet I still feel. Um, I feel your burden. I, I, f I feel your guilt. I can totally sense how, how you're feeling with this. It's, it's actually really, I think, kind of unavoidable, Pam, that you would be feeling the things that you're feeling. Uh, and, and I think it's 100% normal to have a thousand questions. And, and it just makes sense that your brain is trying to find a way to make some sense over the fact that you were doing what you thought were the right things and to have an outcome turn out the way that it did that, that feels so wrong. Um, the brain, the brain's naturally going to go to those places and, and knowing that you've done all of the work that you've done rationally, you also know that everything that you just said has all sorts of should in it. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and rationally, we know that the shoulds really don't lead anywhere. You, I mean, I'm hurting inside just hearing your story, Pam, like you, you didn't know what you didn't know until you knew what you now know. You can't go back and change that. There's, that's a should, <clears throat> right? I should have been more yeah. compassionate sooner. Well, maybe. And you weren't because you couldn't be because you didn't know because you were in your own process. And, and that should is an area where, where there's maybe some room for some work on your part to start to unburden some of that stuff. And everywhere there's a should, there's probably room for a massive amount of self-compassion and understanding. Pam, I want to kind of do something with you. Um, um, I want to flip flip roles for for a minute, okay? So I want I want you to kind of give me your thoughts and your advice uh, on this um, for me. And this is a this is a real life, totally true story. Um, in fact, um, I have I have two of these stories. Maybe I'll just share one of them. Um, one of my favorite clients loved this guy, late twenties, 
um, humble as can be just, just easy to talk to and, um, a raging alcoholic. Um, and he was, he was just drinking day in and day out in his parents' basement. And, um, I finally got his parents in for some therapy and working with them and the whole system of the family. And, and with him, we devised a system for them to have some boundaries because he was, he was killing himself in their basement day in and day out. And it got to the point where if he was going to drink in the basement, they would need to ask him to leave. Right. And that's what happened. Um, I, I pushed the parents hard to stay firm and to stay honest. And, and, uh, you can see where this is going. They asked him to leave. He went to a bar. He, he drank himself to death and he died late twenties. Um, my, my experience is way less than yours. I was the therapist in the, in the situation. Um, what would you say to me? Um, <clears throat> if you were the parents, what would no, I say? If I was in the, the, in the oh, situation as Brandon's now in his own mind. And I know <clears throat> Brandon's been tormented <clears throat> by this going, <clears throat> God, did I do say the right things? Did I give the right advice? Did I actually cause part of the death of this early twenties boy? Right. Like what, what would you say to Brandon hearing the story, Pam? I would say that it's an impossible situation that you know, I've thought of it many times of, as visualized it as two people being thrown overboard and there's one life preserver and the person with the addiction just wants to keep their head above water and they're pushing you down to try to stay above water. And in effect, they're killing, you know, they're, they're drowning you um, drowning because they both. can't save themselves. And, um, you know, at a point you have to choose to survive, but, but can it's I an add impossible to that situation. I got to add to that analogy is <clears throat> if they're scrambling and grabbing you and drowning you when you let go of them and they're in the water alone then they have an option to actually swim to shore or not, rather than trying to cling to you to survive. Right. And when they don't choose to swim to shore and they drown, that's not our fault. That's not right. your fault, Pam. And, and, but it feels that way. Cause it's like, I, I had to get away from you in order to support me in my recovery, but also I'm fighting for you. Like when, when you did what you did, Pam, with, with your husband's drinking and where he was at, it was, it was a long road to probably the same outcome, right? And when you started to get healthy with your therapist and, and, and she was working with you to, to really show up as a boundaried, healthy, with good attachment in that relationship, that was your best shot. Yeah to support him. Pam, what, what, uh, when you were setting those boundaries that you did set, could you, could you just speak a little bit to your motivation for why you were setting the boundaries you did? Like what was your purpose in doing that? Yeah, sure. Cause I gave, I spent hours, days, you know, writing things out and, and checking my motivation and, um, 
my motivation for asking him or, or setting the, the boundary that he wasn't allowed to drink in our home, drink or be drunk or detox, just remove it completely. My motivation was to, to have um, peace in my house. We had two children and seeing what it was doing to them. Um, he, he thought that because he wasn't a, a, an outwardly physically violent person when he drank, he thought that he was doing nobody any harm. Um, but it just, it, it's <laughs> just knowing that he was passed out, unable to function. Um, you know, the smell in the house, it just, I, I couldn't, it was, it was starting to affect my kids their anxiety level, um, the constant broken promises, if I won't do it again, or so, um, I thought, I thought that we even had an agreement at one time that he would go willingly and, and put himself somewhere else if he wanted to drink. And, and when it came to it, he would accuse me of, of kicking him out. So there was the added drama and trauma of having to hear that I was, the bad guy again, and just to ask him to keep his promise. So that was my motivation for, for keeping the alcohol out of the home, just to have peace in our home. And, uh, my motivation for, I had asked him, we had, we had had a long, lots of long discussions about what was acceptable and not acceptable in terms of his acting out, you know, um, and what I asked him for was, um, after disclosure, first of all, he wasn't, he wasn't honest in his disclosure. He tried to omit information. He lied. And so I was never able to really get a foothold in, in building trust again. So I said, can we do this again in six months and see where we are? I don't want to, I don't want to keep, I don't want to hover over you every day. I trust when you say I'm working, I want to trust that. And let's do this again in six months and see where we are. And if that one goes well, then let's do it again in, in another six months or a year. Let's, I tried to, I wanted to give him the space. I didn't want to be, you know, like I said, I don't want to be the gatekeeper, but, um, he told me he felt like he was being punished. Like he was never going to live it down. He was never going to, uh, be able to move on. And, and I tried to explain that until the behavior stops, we can't really go anywhere from here. If you continue to lie to me and continue to act out and continue to drink, I don't, I don't know what, where we will go other than away from each other. <laughs> I wanted to trust him. I wanted to believe him. I wanted to, to see the improvement, to see the recovery on his side. And I just, Pam, when you, when you look at that and the story you're telling, were you the one not choosing the relationship? No. When you had boundaries and you had to push away and have space, were you the one not choosing the relationship? No, I, I don't think so. I wanted it more than anything. Yeah. So you were fighting for the relationship. I thought and, I was. And, I, I felt like uh, I was. Yeah, you were. You absolutely were. But there was this monster in the middle 
there yeah. was this addiction that that's and and it seems so obvious like well yeah any man would fight for his his marriage and his wife and his family over alcohol but no it's not that easy and the addiction wins uh, often and and you can't addicts want both i want a good healthy relationship and family and i want to hang on to my addiction at the same time and and the wedge of addiction addiction is an attachment disorder you can't have both and so he chose to not fully go into recovery and kept going with his addiction it's and hard. that recovery work is hard there's yeah. a reason why he um, chose that he believed um, he was he believed he was doing it and i guess because i wanted to believe it i believed him when he said he was but I had been, you know, I had been cautioned about the the feet following the words. Yeah. And at the, at the end, I started to be able to see that more and more. And I think the final, one of the final light bulbs that went on for me was when I did ask him to move out, he, he, first of all, you know, tried to make me feel guilty. Like I, I won't, I won't be okay if I'm on my own. I'm afraid of what will yeah. happen if I'm on my own. And then when that didn't happen, when that didn't work, there was the, it tried to make me believe that our, you know, financially we would be ruined. And then when that didn't work, he just said, well, I just, I'm not going to go. And I said, I don't want to ha I don't want this to be, um, I don't want to have to kick you out. I, I want this to be something that we both believe in is the best thing for us to do. But if you don't want to leave, then just please let me have space in our home to do my own, to continue to do my own work and to have, I know it will feel like we're roommates for a time, but maybe that's, that's what I need right now. And then he, um, he got very upset and, and, accused me of something that he had accused me of before, which was weaponizing sex, that, that I was manipulating him and weaponizing sex by saying, I just wanted to have space and be on my own for a while, even though we were living in the same house. And, and for the first time I heard that in a way that when he had accused me of that in the past, I believed it. And for the yeah. first time I didn't believe it because I thought, in my heart, I know that's not what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, Pam, I'm having this imagery come into my mind as you're talking, probably based off of the fact that what we just did this weekend, but we were down in Southern Utah, spent a lot of time kind of out in the mountains there and, and some time in some slot canyons. Uh, have you ever been into like a slot canyon before, Pam? Mm -hmm. Um, I've been to Bryce and Zion, yeah, like okay, where they perfect. have the narrows. So you'll know yeah. this then that when you go, if you have, if you start at the mouth of a Canyon and you want to get to the very end of the Canyon, you, the, the easiest way there is typically to walk through the bottom of the Canyon because it's the least steep and you can eventually get to your destination until you come to a place where the, the water has carved out of the mountain so deeply that there's a waterfall and there's no way to continue to go. And you end up in this like sort of amphitheater of just straight rocks where the destination is still forward, but you're hitting this wall now and there's no way through there. And, and unfortunately what you have to do at that point is you have to backtrack 
until you find a way to scale up the walls to climb up the shale and the rock and whatever else, carve out a trail to go up the side of the mountain until you can get over the waterfall. And then you can continue to carry on in your journey. And, and what I see happening here is, is that you, you came to this place in your life and in your relationship where you realized that you were in the amphitheater and you were bashing your head against the wall, trying to move forward. And he was trying to do the same thing, but he was non-acceptant of the fact that there was needed to be some backtracking and there needed to be the risk taken of carving out a new path up the side of the wall somewhere in order to be able to continue the journey. And, and too often that's really what happens. Now there's probably a thousand things we could go through and be like, yeah, well maybe you could have made this plan with the boundary instead of that plan or this or that. You did the best you could. And, and when it comes down to it with an addiction, sometimes it comes to the point where, where the best effort is a Hail Mary. The best effort is we got to go try to do something different because we are going to kill ourselves. We're going to either starve to death in this amphitheater or one of us is going to die of brain damage because we're going to smack our head against the wall for too long. So the next best option is to, to find the, the foothold and to start trying to climb up the rock walls and, and try to go for it. And that's what I'm hearing in, in what is happening with you, Pam, like your recovery work is incredible. Like your heart, your heart was in the right place. Your desires were forward thinking and forward looking. And you basically had no other play, but the Hail Mary and, uh, and you took it yeah. and, and you had to Pam, you, you had to take it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I heard some, I heard some interesting things over this past week and I've actually heard them for, uh, for years, <clears throat> things like this. Um, when my husband relapses, I get so pissed and I just, I, I emotionally just beat the crap out of him and tell him what a piece of shit he is because he's hurting me and he's relapsing. Right. So mm -hmm. I shame him. Mm -hmm. Um, so I heard that. Um, I also hear, um, when my husband relapses, I, I try to get really nice and have sex with him and because he's always complaining about sex. So I try to have sex with him to make sure that he doesn't relapse anymore. And then I feel horrible and I hate him because I feel like an object that's being used. And so you can see the extremes there. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's this really kind of, I'll call it a brutal place to be which is this is it's really, really healthy for you, Pam, to have a ton of compassion and positive regard toward him as he's struggling with his addiction, like, mm -hmm. cause his addiction's real and, and it's, it's difficult and it's hard and he's in hell. Like for, for you as his spouse to, to connect to that, to have compassion for that is absolutely awesome and good and loving. But here's the deal. Don't confuse that with um, sacrificing yourself um, for him. So in order to have real compassion, something has to precede it. And that's self-respect. And, 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 and so the, here's back to Tyler's analogy here a little bit. 
the real brutal place to be as a partner is this, is I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you so much that I have to have boundaries with you. Um, I have to, I have to be strong myself so that I can have that compassion for you. I don't have to go to hatred. I don't have to go to totally giving myself away, um, so that, so that I can keep you unhealthy and we can stay in a relationship together. Um, I'm going to figure out how to have compassion for you. And the way I'm going to do that is by having this self-respect and that's climbing up the side of that, that mountain or get catching that foothold. Right. And, and here's the problem with addiction is you might catch that foothold, Pam, and it might be the, the very right foothold to catch. And he might still fall off that cliff. Right. Mm -hmm. And because addiction is so powerful and so strong. And so, like you say, it's an impossible situation to be in. Um, but another thing about it is you're taking too much credit for it. You, you had far less control over this than you think or that, than you want to think. And there's some, something inside of you that says, like, I want to know that I had control. I want to know that I could have done something different or I could have changed and maybe that's not true. Maybe this was out of your hands completely. Right. It's, yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's the piece where when I'm trying to, to accept that it, it didn't matter who his partner was, this is likely something that would have played out no matter who he was with. Um, I'm working really hard yeah. to try to believe and, that, that it wasn't because I was, you know, I came from a, a divorced family, his family, his parents, you know, were together. And he would often tell me, you know, we never fought in my family. Nobody ever raised their voice. And my, and my family was, was different. We were, you know, our emotions were, we were very honest about our emotions, but kind of in an unbridled way, but it was, you could trust it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought, I thought that, you know, early on in our marriage, I thought I was feeling like something's not, not working. And I thought it was me. I thought I didn't, I wasn't being, yeah. I didn't have the capacity to be the good partner. I, and I thought that I honestly believe that. So from the early, from early on, I thought it was me. And then, you know, to find out 20 years later that he was acting out all that time. Um, I felt that way for a reason. I mean, I was feeling those things for a reason. I just didn't know why yeah, I was feeling absolutely. them. Absolutely. Um, Pam, could I yeah. just build off of what Brandon's saying for a second here and ask you a few more questions? Um, when we look at relationships, yeah. Uh, Marshall Lenahan talks about three reasons why we engage in relationships. And one reason is, is just to try to get something we want. The second reason is ultimately the big one is for connection and you know, deep intimacy. And then the third one is to figure out how to maintain our self-respect. And if we were to, if we were to say that underneath each one of those things is maybe some type of a principle of truth, all of the, although those things are pretty much true, right? We need to feel like we've got self-respect at the same time we need to want and need connection with other people. And we also are okay to have something that we want inside of all of that. 
if we were to, if we were to look at your life and your decisions from the, the lens of those three things, Pam, did you do the best you could mm-hmm. to connect with him and to love him? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The best I could. Yeah. That, that was at the, that was the very bottom of your heart. That was your desire in order to do that you finally came to a place of realizing that you could not give to him something that you didn't have, which was yourself, unless you knew yourself. Did you do everything in your power to maintain your self-respect while still trying to love him? Yeah. I, and I, I tried to, I tried to Mm -hmm. do better. I mean, I tried Mm -hmm. to see where, where my mm-hmm. flaws were, where my faults yeah. were. Um, a lot, a lot of, of a lot of those, because he told me what they were. Um, of course. So, so in a sense, you were doing the very best you could to take ownership for your part in the relationship to provide connection and intimacy. You were realizing that mm-hmm. you couldn't do anything other than offer your best self. So you had to take care of yourself. You had to maintain principles of, of self-integrity and as you stepped into the situation with a loving heart saying, we want something better than we've got right now. Our kids deserve something better. We want something better together. I want something better with you. This is the only way that I can do that and maintain the, the desire for connection and my self-respect. You did the best you could. Mm-hmm. With, with the right intentions based in principles of truth. And there's one more principle here that Brandon was just barely getting at. Yeah, go ahead. Tyler, can can I just, I want to point something out with where you're at right here. Because Pam, you might be thinking, no, I have regret. I wish I would have done it sooner. So maybe it wasn't the best I could. And I just want to point this out. Um, You were working through a process of, of recovery. So it wasn't all of a sudden one day, like, boom, you have all the answers to all of these really, really hard things. Mm -hmm. So you worked with your therapist, you got stronger and, and, and it was step by step, piece by piece. And you can look back and say, dang it. I wish I would have been there when there was a chance to save him. Right. When I wish I would have been strong enough when it would have pushed him in the right direction. Um, but you were, you were working on it. You were doing what you could then. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so to, to give yourself some grace and, and and forgiveness for being engaged in that process. Yeah. Well, that's fine, Brandon. You're fine. I want to just maybe share a personal story with you, Pam, and, and ask you to consider a few things and then maybe get back to my point here. Um, if you've listened to the podcast long enough, you've heard some of this, but when I was 16 years old, I played on the basketball team in the high school that I went to. And at the end of the games, sometimes we would, we had gotten a, a couch up on the roof of the school that we would go to and we'd hang out up there and we'd talk and mess around and do things that we probably shouldn't. And, um, and w- one night during the game, the guys that were on the team leaned over and said, Hey, let's go up, let's go to the couch tonight. And I had a sick, sick feeling in my gut that said, don't do that. Don't do that tonight. Let's go do something else. But I was the youngest one of my friends and I didn't want to be left out and I didn't want him to judge me. And, and so I didn't say anything. And we went up on the roof that night and on the way down, 
one of my best friends right in front of my eyes fell from the school roof and the next morning he ended up dying. Um, I, I knew better, Pam. I had had what I would call a spiritual prompting to not do what we did. But as a 16 year old boy, who's trying to fit in with his friends, who doesn't want to make waves, who's in a very agreeable personality. Is it possible that I can feel guilty about that? And at the same time, accept that I was doing the best that I could in that moment. Is it possible that both of those things could yeah, be true? For sure. Yeah. And I, I wish, and I wish so badly yeah. that you could have some version of what happened for me because in the weeks that passed after his death, I finally got the courage to go up to his parents' place and I knocked on the door and his mom answered the door and I broke down crying and I said that I was sorry. And she walked out and she put her arms around me and she wept with me and she hugged me and she said, none of this is your fault. It feels so good to hug a boy that would be the same age as my son. Thank you for coming. And Pam, I believe that there's probably some type of an experience that's there for you, whether that's through a relationship with God or some other means that would allow you to relieve yourself of the burden that you're carrying of responsibility that isn't yours. I don't, I don't know what shape or form it's going to come in, but I believe yeah. that it's there for you. Oh, I, I, I do too. I mean, I know that I reconnected with my faith a few, a handful of years ago, like right before everything started to go sideways. And I know that was for a reason. And, um, incidentally enough, it was through my, my oldest child that that happened. Um, but I, you know, whatever shape or form it comes in, it came and it came mm -hmm. for a reason. Um, and I think it was because, you know, this was coming and, um, and, you know, the powers that be knew that I would need that to get me through. And that is really a lot of what's gotten me through. It's just that, that belief that I know that I'm, I know that. I, I will get through this. Um, you know, I, th <laughs> oddly enough, I think what's going to get me through is part of what led me into it. And that's, I know I'm a resilient person and I know that I am an emotional, emotionally strong person. And that's probably what kept me in the situation as long as it did. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's the good there, and the bad to that, you know, there's probably some truth what got to that. Me in it I, will get I me might out suggest of it. <laughs> a couple of other principles that will be a, an extreme wrestle for you, but would be something to be practicing. And I, I know you're going to know these already, but the first one is, is to, in this situation, figure out how to work less and surrender more to be able to give over 
to a couple of principles. One is the principle of agency and choice and accept what was yours and what is yours and practice letting go and surrendering over what was not yours. You didn't put the bottle to his head. You didn't make those choices. Surrender those things. Give those over to something bigger than yourself because they're not yours to carry anymore. Do you, do you know the, the serenity prayer? Yeah. Yeah. That's what Tyler's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say it real fast. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. Mm -hmm. And really in that prayer, there's so much healing for you, Pam. Yeah. Um, to, to actually live that, to actually feel what that prayer is actually saying um, would help you release. Um, it was amazing. <clears throat> we went through some releasing processes with the women in the last few days, and you could see in their eyes um, the, the, the pain lifted and the, the vibrance and the beauty came back. And I know that if you allow yourself to let go, and to surrender, you would feel that lift as well, Pam. Um, but it's easier said than done. Yeah, simple um, but you, hard. <laughs> yeah, simple but hard, right? Yeah. A lot of this is simple but hard because I, yeah. I'm, um, you know, fighting old narratives that I that I bought into, um, and that I realize now is, is was part of him living the life he was living, you know, I had to believe certain things in order for him to keep doing what he was doing. Right. And, um, you know, there's, you know, the alcohol, the alcohol was the way that he masked, I think, uh, much, much deeper, um, issues. And, uh, and, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to process that too. Like what issues were underneath the alcohol, you know, um, the, the way that he, you know, acted out, um, I think that there was some, some question as to, you know, where he was at with his sexuality, you know, um, the majority of his partners were, were male and just wrapping my head around that, you know, is, I want to have compassion for that because I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, to be a person in a struggle with, with what that could have, you know, been. And unfortunately, you know, we'll never get to work that out, you know, in a way that mm -hmm. could have been healing for both of us. I, uh, um, <clears throat> I don't know if you listened to episode 125. It was two weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> it was with the woman who's, um, whose husband passed away. I did. I did hear that. Yeah. yeah. I did listen. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of kind of parallels yeah. here. Right. Um, and so I'm glad you listened to that because there's a lot in there about her forgiving him, her forgiving herself her knowing how to process everything that she needs to process um, and, and really finding herself again after all of this. 
So, um, I, gosh, if, if we could connect the two of you in some way, I think it could be really healing and really good because you're going through a lot and the, you know, like similar things. And that has, it's been, it's, I was, I was in, con, you know, consistent groups and had, a, you know, I've had good support throughout, which I'm very blessed and thankful to have. And, but after he passed away, I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere anymore. And it has been challenging, you know, to find those people who have, whose story ended that way. No, of course um, not. Cause I know I'm not the only one. I can't be the only one. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and, uh, um, it would be nice to, to be able to, you know, be in the company of other people who have, who are sitting, you know, both with grief and betrayal trauma yes. and just a lot of this guilt and yeah, to, yeah. to know that you're not alone, Pam. Right. So, no. wow. Um, in an hour, this does not do it, do us justice to, to get through all of this. So, um, but it's all the time we got right now. So Pam, I, I just appreciate your vulnerability and willingness. I mean, when, when you're so willing to bring pain onto the show, like you have today, um, it's, it's what you just said. Like there's somebody listening out there who's been through something really similar as you and they're alone in their bedroom right now, crying, knowing I'm not the only one here. And I'm so grateful that she spoke to this because just healing, hearing that is healing to that. Yeah, person. Pam, so I, um, thank you. If for it's okay with today. you, I would like to have, have chase our producer reach out to the woman who was on episode 125 and just see if she would grant permission to share information. If, would, would you be, would you be open to that? Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll reach out on our end and see if Absolutely, that would be yes. appropriate and okay with her. And if it is, we'll be in touch with you and we'll get you guys connected that way. Um, for those of you listening, you are, you. you can't listen to an episode like this and not have your hearts touched and torn. And some of you are listening with very similar situations. And some of you are listening from an outside perspective with other kinds of situations. Pam, you, you shine light into the lives of other people by coming on today. And, and hopefully you'll be leaving with some insights and some support and knowing that you're not alone as well. And, and for those of you listening, please, if you know someone in a similar situation, share this with them. So, Pam. Thank you. Thank you both. I, I have so much respect and admiration for the work that you do and have been helped by it can, tremendously. So thank you both. Well, Thanks, Pam. I look forward to seeing you at the next retreat. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Thank you both.